0: The scripture reading this morning will come from Ephesians three eight through eleven, and that is found in a few Bibles on page one thousand thirty nine. That is Ephesians eight or Ephesians three eight through eleven. To me, who I am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in the God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities, and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good morning. It is good to see each of you if you're visiting with us. Again, we welcome you. It encourages us for you to be here, and we hope that we can encourage you. Uh, yesterday, Jamie and Chris Logel, this is a couple that's been visiting with us. Uh, they were baptized into Christ yesterday, and we rejoice with them. They were at the uh, first service this morning, and we introduced them, uh, and we're thankful that they have decided to commit their life to Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful Sunday. As we begin a new study of the family of God, and hopefully you adults have been a part of a Bible class uh, just before you came in here, and in that class uh, you studied through the 14th chapter of the book, The Family of God. And talked about worship and then in this time we'll look at some things that come out of the first chapter of that same book. And over the next 12 weeks from now, we will be looking at things that pertain to the Lord's church out of that book. And so I want to encourage you to come and be a part of the Bible classes. And then of course the worship time. And let's study and learn more about God. And when this quarter is over, let's make sure that we know more about the Lord's church and that we love her more than even today. I love the Lord's church. I love the church. Now, I will say that many times this morning, and I hope you realize I'm not saying that for you to think about the fact that David Shannon loves the church. When I say that, I'm hoping that in your mind, you're saying that same thing. I hope that in your mind, you can say, I love the church. This morning, can you say that? I love the church. Make sure that that's real in your life. But you know, that's not necessarily true in our culture any longer. You know, it wasn't a few generations ago that we were still viewed as a Christian nation. And much within communities reflected that. In other words, we had blue laws that townships decided to place as ordinances upon themselves to say that there'll be no product sold here unless it's absolutely necessary that they be sold on Sunday. You can buy things six days a week, but we're going to give those the opportunity to go and worship God on Sunday. We're going to give store owners the opportunity to go and worship God. And we're going to insist so much that we're going to create ordinances that make sure that that happens. You see, our culture around us today doesn't reflect a love and appreciation for the church anymore. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago that many of us remember being in school districts where there were ordinances that there would be no sports, practices, or games after 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening and none on Sunday because that was the time that people would go to Bible study and to worship God. There was a time not long ago where prayers were said in the public schools and they were prayers offered in the name of Jesus Christ because Christianity was respected and the church was appreciated. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago and that uncommon that even when local gospel meetings were taking place that the preacher was invited to speak at the high school because that was the days that the community loved and appreciated the church. Friends, Our secular community has changed in that sense. And oftentimes, you and I, of course, are influenced by the community. And so I want you to think today, but also in the next quarter of our study, are you influenced by a community that no longer loves and appreciates the church? In other words, can you say that that's kind of reflective in your life, or can you boldly stand today without hesitation and say, Oh, no, 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 that may be the way the community is. But not me. I love the church. When we think of all the good that the church has done in our life, when we think of all that was paid in order for the church to be bought, when we think of all the hope that we're giving as part of, the, the member of being a member of the Lord's church, oh, I love the church. But now we have just compared that to our culture around us. I want you to think with me of something, and I'm not suggesting to you that this is new, that we're the first civilization that has ever struggled with this. I'm not suggesting that to you at all. But Barna Research has revealed in recent years that when they compare data now to just 10 years prior, that more people are saying, now listen up to this, get this, because we're going to build a lot on this. More people are saying they are more deeply spiritual than ever before, but less are saying that they are a part of any church. Now, as a result of that, George Barna decided to write a book, not so much about statistics, but it's obvious in this book that he writes about revolution that he has also bought into this same mindset. And it's the mindset that says, let's become spiritual. Let's be deeply devoted to God. Let's be Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ. But the church is a take it or leave it. That has nothing to do with your spirituality. It has nothing to do with your commitment to Jesus Christ. And friends, statistics prove in their in-depth studies that more and more people are buying into this. And if you'll just put your ear to the tracks and you'll listen to talk around your workplaces and your community and even among some in your family, you're going to find out that this is a growing trend. And so we have to stop and say... Will our love and appreciation for the church be reflective of what God teaches in His Word? Or will we be like culture that's dropped the importance of the church? Will we be like a new kind of religion that is developing in America today that says, I'm a Christian and I'm devoted to Christ, but I don't have a place or time in my life for the church? As a matter of fact, I want to share with you just some thoughts and then a quick excerpt from the first chapter of this book that he entitles Michael and David. You see, Michael and David... They are uh, two individuals that he speaks of that are CEOs of their mid-sized companies. Both are married, both have two daughters, and both consider themselves deeply devoted to Jesus Christ. Both consider themselves strong Christians. But yet, as this chapter unfolds, the very beginning of this chapter, we see these guys on the golf course on a Sunday morning. Their wives and children are in their places of worship because that's what they've always done. But these two men have decided that they better serve their God and they're more faithful Christians without putting this in their schedule. Church has kind of gotten in their way. And so as it unfolds from green to green, they're talking about various things. And on one particular green, David looks over to Michael and he says, Hey, what scripture have you read this past week that challenges you to be a stronger Christian? And they talk about that on one green. The next green, they're walking their way to it and, and one says to the other, hey, let me tell you about a benevolent cause that I've been a part of this last week. I know it's what the Lord would want me to do. And another says, let me tell you about a mission trip me and my family are going to take to South and Central America later on this year. We have a lot of plans. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go into my company and I'm going to urge other people that they should go and be a part of that mission trip too. It's because after all, Christian." should try to involve others in the Christian life. Finally, at one particular time, Michael says something that David can't approve of, and in a joking way, he pushes his face around, and he says, shame on you. You're speaking of Christianity as if it's just an add-on into your life. What you ought to do is make Christianity the very center of your life. Friends, do you hear how beautiful this description is? where book after book is being written today, and that kind of talk is spreading across America. The idea that we can be, if you want to say it this way, self-glorified Christians. We can devote our life in such a wonderful way that others would want to follow the way we walk. And church, don't worry about it. If you want to be active and faithful in the church, they wouldn't say that that's a bad thing, but by no means would they encourage you to do so. Here's how Barnes summarizes this particular aspect in his book. He says, you probably know people like David and Michael. David, his life reflects the very ideas. and notice this line. The very ideas and principles that characterize the life and purpose of Jesus Christ. And that advance the kingdom of God. Despite the fact that David rarely attends church services. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the false teaching that you're reading here where someone has the nerve to believe that they're writing a very spiritual book for our culture today. And this book is saying, here's some guys that are following the ideas and the principles that Jesus has laid out. Now, they don't have time. They're CEOs. They don't have time for church. But wow, isn't it wonderful that they can live the life that Jesus would have in idealism and in principles. Well, let's read on. He is typical of a new breed of disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not willing to play religious games and are interested in being a part of a religious community that is not intentionally and aggressively advancing God's kingdom. You see what he's really saying there? Is if you're really serious about Christianity, we don't have time for church because it's not aggressive enough. It's not intentional enough. In other words, he's implying here, even though he would not state it directly, but he's implying that Christians that are part of a church, if that's even possible to speak otherwise, but Christians that are part of a church are second rate. They're not as diligent. And finally, he says this, they are people who want more of God, much more in their lives, and they are doing whatever it takes to get it. In other words, my summary of this is that he is saying that the church is very unattractive. He's saying that the church is unnecessary, and so today I ask you: Do you love the church? There are many of our neighbors that say, "I'm deeply spiritual. I'm heavily, strongly committed to Jesus Christ," but no, I don't love the church. Why would I love the church? I want a relationship with the Lord, friends. I want to remind you as we go into this that Colossians the first chapter, verse eighteen, speaks of Christ being the head of His body, the church. In other words, to have the kind of theology and doctrine that they have, you would literally have to amputate Christ at the neck. And you'd have to say, I love that Christ, but then point to His body and say, but I don't love that Christ. It's ridiculous. There's no way that we can love Christ and not love the church. They're one and the same. Christ's body is the church. And so it is. Why is it that some are so discouraged with the church? Could it be that some have tarnished the image of the church and if you will be turning to John the 17th chapter because all of the religious division that has taken place. How many times have we seen people with a a very uh, much of a sincere heart say, I don't understand why there's so many religions today. I don't understand why so many people open the same book and they read out of the same book, but yet their faiths and their doctrines are so different. And with that, it leaves them confused and it leaves them saying, I don't want any more of this. If they can't figure out what Christianity is, why should I ever be able to figure it out? Friends, we need to hear something loud and clear this morning. The Lord didn't begin denominationalism. As a matter of fact, the Lord wanted His believers to always be one. You see, denominationalism is a slap in the face of Jesus Christ. No wonder it discourages so many from being a part of the church, because it's not at all what the Lord designed. Before Jesus died on the cross... He said a prayer in John the 17th chapter. It's the longest prayer that we have recorded of Jesus. And it's in this prayer, if you'll look in 22 and 23, that He prays for this unity. He says, "In the glory which you gave Me..." This is Jesus speaking to the Father in prayer. "...the glory which you gave Me, I've given to them, that they may be one." See, the unity, one, just as we are one. "...I in them, and you in Me, that there may be made perfect in one." Now, what is unity of the believers going to state to the world? Look at this next phrase. And that the world may know that you have sent me, number one, and number two, and have loved them as you have loved me. You've heard me say this before. I don't know exactly all the ways that unity among believers expresses this to the world, but I have no doubt that it does because Jesus says that it does. And Jesus says, when we show unity, we're saying, God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And when we show unity, we're saying to the world, God loves you. Now, again, I say to you, that kind of puzzles me. It kind of boggles my mind. How is it when we're unified that it says to our neighbors, do you know God loves you? I don't know all the ways, but I have no doubt that Jesus is correct. And I have no doubt that when we as a quote Christian nation have showed the world over 250 divisions under the name of Christianity, no wonder they throw up their hands and say, God doesn't love me, there is no such thing as God. And God didn't send His Son. Why? Why should we listen to you guys? You open up one book and speak 250 different faiths? And then if we take religion around the world, there's 4,200 religions around the world. Can you imagine the confusion for someone who literally wakes up one morning and says, I'm not religious, but I want to be. Let me find God. It's going to be a long, hard look through all that the world has to offer today in the name of God. And so it is. That tarnishes the church, no doubt. Look with me, if you will, to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Another way that the church is tarnished in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we read beginning at verse 17 down through 19 that path of immorality that just gets further and further away from God. And of course, God doesn't want us to live that path of immorality. He wants us to turn and he wants us to come to him. And so we're going to read here about in Ephesians 4 and 22, and we're going to see that God doesn't want this disparity. In other words, God doesn't want us speaking one thing and and living something else. And so he has said in verse 20 that we ought to learn Christ and we ought to be taught by him. Now, notice what he says in 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the seaful lust. So that's what we put off. Now notice what we do, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that mind was the mind of Jesus Christ that we learn. In other words, when we don't do this, it tarnishes the church. In other words, people in the world they see an individual that says, Oh, I'm a Christian. But yet they're still living that old life, that old conduct of sin. They've never renewed their mind, renewed their heart, renewed their life to live a life after Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a major difference in a faithful Christian and someone that's out in the depths of the world. A major difference. And when someone in the world hears someone else say... I'm a faithful Christian, but yet they do all the same things the world does. And they interact in relationships the exact same way that the world interacts in relationships. And they have the same fights with their spouses that the world does. And the same fights with their children that the world does. And they have the same strife with co-workers that the world does. And they have the same arguments with neighbors that the world does. And they don't see. The world does not see someone that has the peace of God. They don't see someone that has a standard of Christ in their life. No wonder they say, why do I want any of the church? I can stay out here and have the world and have the very same life that you guys have. No wonder that idea of not practicing what we preach is discouraging to so many in the world. They don't glory in the church because of that. But for just a few minutes, I want you to think about a few reasons why we can love the church. Reasons that are so important. As we're here in Ephesians, drop back to the third chapter, the text that was so capably read for us a few minutes ago by Logan, and notice. He's already read the text, so what I'd like to do is just bring out some high points of it as we think about the origin of the church. When we think about it, it's something for us to love. It's something for us to appreciate. Look in the middle of verse 9 where he says, "...which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known." How? By the church. Look at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which was accomplished in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying here? The church and the wisdom that is revealed through the church. All of this was done before the very foundations of the world. Before God created Adam and Eve. Before God created the Garden of Eden. He had a plan. I'm going to bring about the church. And when the church came, so much manifold wisdom of God was was to be known. It was to be revealed. And what was a part of the manifold wisdom of God that's revealed in the church? It fulfills an eternal purpose through Jesus Christ. Friends, we ought to love the church because its origin, its plan, was way before the foundations of the world and its eternal purpose goes beyond the existence of the world. I want to be a part of something that grand. I want to be a part of something that was in the mind of God and the plan of God throughout time and even exist with God after time. If for no other reason, that ought to fire us up about the church. I want to be a part of that. But also the foundation of the church. We ought to love the church because of that. In 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians 11th, I'm sorry, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians the 3rd chapter, verse 11. Sometimes people ask me, they say, do you do the exact same sermon word for word from one sermon to the next? On that particular thing I did, I said the exact same thing the first service. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Let's go to the 11th verse. And notice what it says here. Speaking about the foundation of the church, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now think about that. As we talk about the church the way it ought to be, there is no other foundation. You remember in Matthew, the 16th chapter, when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? And, and they confessed, You're Christ, the Son of the living God. And then He said in verse 18 to Peter, Upon this rock. What was the rock? It was the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Now, that's the foundation. That's the rock that the church is going to be built upon. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I'd like for you to look at one other passage, if you will... Look also to Ephesians. And this time, look with me to Ephesians, the second chapter. And notice verse uh, 19 speaks of the church. And then I want us to see the foundation that that church is built on. He's coming out of the end of verse 19 by talking about the household of God. He's talking about the church. Now notice the foundation. This is Ephesians 2 and 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. What is the foundation of the church? Now keep in mind, we're talking about reasons why we should love the church. That we, we glory in the church because of this foundation. What is it? The foundation is built to the prophets. Do you realize that prophets said for hundreds of years that the church was coming? And when Jesus Christ came and He established the church, He fulfilled all of those prophecies. So those prophecies are a part of our foundation. But also, the apostles, when they spoke... Peter didn't stand up and say in Acts 2, I want to tell you about a church I'm beginning. He told them about the Lord's church. The apostles, all of their teaching was about the Lord's church. And that's why here in this text it says Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. In other words, everything about the structure of the church ties into that chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. If you took Jesus Christ out of the picture, it wouldn't be the church I want to say something, not to throw rocks at denominationalism, but I'm saying this sincerely to say this is a reason why I love the church. Everything that we believe and teach and practice goes back to the Scriptures. I love being a part of a church that I don't read about my history and say, well, you know, a lot of my teaching goes back to the 3rd and 4th century with a council of men that sat down. Those men may not be any smarter than me. I don't want to be a part of something that's built upon men. Or I don't want to be a part of a church, say, well, you know, back in the 1600s, this group got together and they started this church, and here's some of our creeds and bylaws that we live by. I don't want to be a part of a church that a woman came up with in 1904 and said, you know, she had some great vision and she had some great insight, and let's be a part of her church. I don't want to be a part of a church that they have annual meetings where a council of individuals gets together and they decide what we're going to believe this year and what's going to change from last year. I don't want to be a part of a church that has to decide moral issues every year. Where are we going to stand this year on homosexuality? Where are we going to stand this year to define a family? Where are children in order of priority in the life of a Christian? Friends, I emphasize to you, If you love the fact that we can go back to Christ and Christ only, you've got to love the church. It's the only religious institution on the earth that does that. There is no other. You have to love the church because it's all about Jesus and His way. Also... I'd like to mention to you, if you want to open your Bibles to Acts 2, we don't have time to go into depth on this, and so I'm going to simply mention this to you. But you have to love the church because of her great beginning. When we look in Acts, the second chapter, we see the beginning of the church. All the prophecy that said the church was going to start was pointing toward Acts 2. Acts 2, the church began. It was the first time that we see it spoken of in present tense. Everything after Acts 2, it pivots back and looks back and says, that's the church we want to be. When Paul was writing to the church at Rome. He wasn't writing to a new denomination. He was writing to a group of Christians in Rome that were part of that church that belonged to the Lord that was established in Jerusalem in Acts 2. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're not wanting to be a denomination that's a religious group that believes in Jesus Christ. We want to be a part of that church that belongs to Jesus Christ that was started in Acts 2. If you and I believe that, we believe that the church had a grand beginning. Acts 2 was a tremendous beginning because there we see that it was a fulfillment of all the prophecy of the church that was to be established. That's why he began his sermon when Peter stood up and preached in Acts, the second chapter, the very place he began with Joel prophesying hundreds of years before that this day would come to pass. And he's standing up telling them, This day has come to pass. Also, when we see of the great day that it was, the day of Pentecost, it was a day to celebrate harvest. But also, so Jews had come from all countries to Jerusalem on that day to celebrate their harvest. Jewish men were commanded to come to Jerusalem three times a year. This was one of those times. But notice also, this was on a Sunday. Everything under the old law pertained to the Sabbath, Saturday being the holy day. And now the beginning of the church is going to be on Sunday, just as the resurrection was on Sunday, just as we see them taking the Lord's Supper in Acts 20 and 7 on Sunday. We're seeing them commanded to give in First Corinthians the 16th chapter and verse 1 and 2 while they're gathered together on Sunday. Sunday. It's a wonderful day for children of God. It's a great day. It's the beginning of the church. And it's the day that when I think about a day that I've learned more of the songs that I love to sing. I've learned the most of them on Sunday. If I had to pick one day out of the week where I guess I've learned more Scripture than any other day of the week, it would have to be on Sunday. When I think about a day of the week, when I think about who is it that has impacted me among my friends and influences, is it the people that I'm with the most on Monday through Friday? Or no, most of us would have to say Sunday. When I think about the day that families are oftentimes together and and we're on the same mind, and we're on the same page. Isn't it wonderful when we can say that about Sunday? You see, the church had a great beginning on Sunday in a great city, Jerusalem, but no longer under the old covenant. It was a holy city, but now the institution that was started there in that city became the holy institution, and the city no longer was holy. What a great beginning of the church. We also see the sermon about magnifying Jesus Christ and offering salvation to all mankind. We also see the great crowd that gathered around and the great response of over 3,000. Friends, you have to love the church because of its beginning. I want to mention to you just in bullet form quickly a few other reasons. You have to love the church because of our relationship with God. When we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His Son. That makes us sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. You have to love the church because it's universal. The Lord invites everyone. He gave His Son because He loved the whole world. And Acts the tenth chapter, Peter made it very clear that God is not a respecter of persons. You have to love the church because it doesn't matter how old you are, you're welcome. How young you are, you're welcome. It doesn't matter what continent you live on. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter the education you have or the education that you do not have. The church is for everyone. You have to love the church for that reason. You have to love the church because of the works. The church is involved in great things. I don't say this lightly. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that I can stand and I can proclaim the teachings of this church and I don't have to try to encourage our teenagers to learn to kill. I don't have to encourage the members to hate other people on this earth. I don't have to worry about, am I saying something that's going to harm a family? Am I saying something that's going to bring shame to a community? Isn't it wonderful that we can be a part of a church, that we can live it and we can teach it and we can share it and all it does is makes people's lives better it helps every one of us i love being a part of a church where her works are so benevolent they they reach out to those that need it and they edify those that are there it's always positive i love being a part of a church whose destiny is heaven 1st corinthians 15th chapter jesus is going to deliver the church to the father when the end comes I want to be a part of that group. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you. I come again that where you are there I may be also. Friends, I want to be with the Father. This morning, I want to read you a closing paragraph out of the chapter that I read you earlier in Barna's book. And I want you to think how foolish this sounds in comparison to what we've just studied. The United States is home to an increasing number of revolutionaries. These people are devout followers of Jesus Christ who are serious about their faith, who are constantly worshiping and interacting with God and whose lives are centered on their belief in Christ. Some of them are aligned with a congregational church, but many of them are not. A life centered upon God, a life centered upon worship, but many of them are not a part of a church. Let me give you a Greek word for that. Baloney. It's not of God. It's a new shape that Satan has given to religion that says, church is getting in your way? Good, I can make you feel real good about yourself. I can make you feel real spiritual, and we'll just take that part out that you need. Satan loves it that way friends, if we really have open eyes and clear vision, the truth is we see that church doesn't get in the way. The church is who we are when we're children of God. The church is a privilege, not a penalty. If you're not part of the Lord's church, you're missing out on a family, family of God. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ for remission of your sins as a believer willing to turn away from sins, won't you do that this morning? It'll be the great decision you've ever made. Give your life to Jesus Christ and be a part of His church. Maybe you've become a Christian and somewhere along the way you've lost focus and, and you haven't lived as a Christian you want to come back. You need to repent and confess sins. If we can help you in any way, comes we stand. As we